Well, good afternoon, everyone. If you have your Bibles, will you take them and join me as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 1? 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be beginning in verse number 3. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, and we'll be reading down until verse number 11. So if you're there and you're able, would you please stand with me now out of respect for the reading of God's word? 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, I pray that today as we look at your word, Father, I pray that your spirit would work and that nothing would hinder uh, the power of your word. God, I pray that medicine would be brought to your church today, Lord, as we hear from your word, that you would teach us and strengthen us. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, teaching is a lot like medicine. Uh, when you think of a healthy Christian, what do we usually think of? Well, we think of someone who knows God's word. We think of someone who we can go to for answers. Uh, when we think of a healthy Christian, we think of somebody who knows how to live rightly. They follow God's law. They live like Jesus. Uh, whenever we have questions, we can go to them. We can get answers from them. Uh, whenever we wonder how to live, we can look at their life and we can see the way that they speak and the way that they act. And we can say, that's a healthy Christian. I want to be like that. And when we want to be a healthy Christian, we'll usually seek out teachers. Perhaps we'll come to the elders of this church and we'll say, you know, I have some questions. Can you help me out with this? Perhaps they'll give answers. Perhaps they'll maybe give resources uh, that, you, that you can go to. Uh, maybe you'll go to the bookcase in the back and you'll search out teachers. And you'll be asking, teach me to be a healthy Christian. Teach me the things that I don't know. I want to be a better Christian and to serve the Lord more. And when that's successful, when we find good teaching, it's like medicine for our faith. It strengthens us, and it builds us up, and we're edified, and we grow in Christ, and we grow in our knowledge. 
But what happens when we find the wrong teaching? While good teaching might be medicine to our faith, bad teaching can be poison to our faith. In today's passage, Paul is addressing teaching that is like poison. And he tells Timothy to, to charge these certain teachers to stop teaching their different doctrine, their poison. And in fact, as we're looking at Paul's letters to Timothy, we see that this is the main reason for his writing. In fact, we'll see that in these opening verses from verses 3 to 11, he has this charge to rebuke the false teachers. And then he'll come back to this again later when we look at chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. He'll revisit this charge once again. And throughout this letter, Paul is writing passionately. There's great urgency in what he's writing. In fact, many people have noticed that in the letters where Paul is dealing with dangerous teaching, whether that's here in Timothy or in his writing to the Galatian church, we see that Paul, he usually skips his elaborate, beautiful introduction, and he just gets right to the point of what he's writing about. There's great urgency and passion in his writing because he cares deeply for these people. He knows that these churches are young. He knows that these believers are young, they're impressionable, and they're looking for teachers. They want to grow in the Lord, and they're eating up all of the teaching that comes to them. And Paul cares for these churches, and he wants to make sure that these infant churches have good teaching. He wants to make sure that they have medicine and not poison. In chapter 3, verse 14, he writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. There are problems in this church, and Timothy has been left by Paul to bring medicine to these people. Now, today's sermon is titled, Sound Teaching That Serves the Church. And within that title, I have two points or two perspectives. The first is teaching that is sound. And the second is teaching that is serving. So today we will look at teaching that is sound and teaching that is serving. So beginning first with the sound teaching. What is teaching that is sound? Look with me again in verse number three. It says there, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, any different doctrine. In verse number 10, he lists different sins that, like all sins, are contrary to the law and to sound doctrine. Later in chapter 6, verse 3, he will write, if anyone teaches different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And so taking all of these things together, we see that Paul is saying, do not teach any different doctrine, but teach the sound doctrine that has been entrusted to me as an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not teach different doctrine, but teach the doctrine that I have given to you. Now, there's the question as to what was this different doctrine 
that Paul is talking about, that Timothy is supposed to oppose. It's interesting that Paul doesn't give us an ism. He doesn't give us a title for this teaching or a title for the group of people. But it seems that he might be dealing with a sort of early Gnostic group, those who talk about hidden knowledge or hidden teaching. There's talk of speculation and genealogies. Uh, we do have ancient documents from this uh, portion of, or for this time in history, where there was great speculations to the hidden teachings of Jesus or the hidden mysteries found in the genealogies of the Old Testament. And we find writings where the different names in the family trees of the Old Testament are, giving, are given elaborate myths and elaborate stories. And possibly this is what is going on here. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't put as much emphasis on the identity of the false teaching, but he puts great emphasis on the approach to knowledge, on the motivation, and on the effects that this teaching has on the church. The approach to knowledge, the motivation, and the effects. And he contrasts this false teaching, saying that they promote speculation, whereas his teaching is the stewardship from God that is by faith. He's contrasting their teaching as speculation with his teaching that is stewardship. What is the difference between speculation and stewardship? Well, speculation is something that departs from the material. Speculation is when you venture off into the realm that God has not revealed answers in. But what is stewardship? Stewardship is the proper handling of what God has revealed clearly and plainly. These false teachers were departing from what had been entrusted to Timothy. They were in speculation. They were going away from the source material, looking for answers where God was not speaking them. And so Paul was saying, do not speculate, but be a steward of the gospel and the, tr and the truth that has been entrusted to you. And we too, desiring to know sound doctrine, are not to depart from the revelation of God and wander off into speculation. In fact, Paul will address this in chapter 6 in verse number 20. He will say to Timothy, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Timothy, you have something that is concrete. You have a teaching that has answers. You have the Old Testament scriptures. You have the teaching of me, your spiritual father in the faith, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have given you sound doctrine. Do not wander away from it. I remember when I was young, I would often go hiking with my dad. This was something that we did from my early years and then right up to before I came to Korea. My dad and I would always go hiking. And I remember when I was young, I would often get distracted by things off the path. I loved to go climbing and exploring. And if I saw like a really cool hill or a really cool tree or a rock that looked like it was something I could climb, I always wanted to depart from the path. But my dad would never let me. He would always say, no, 
we stay on the trail. And that was the rule. As much as I wanted to head off and blaze my own trail, my dad would tell me, no, that is dangerous. We stay on the trail. And this is how Timothy's spiritual father is instructing him when it comes to the scriptures. In a sense, Paul is telling Timothy, charge these men to blaze no other trail. Charge them to stay on the trail that has been delivered to you. As an apostle of Jesus, with a gospel not crafted by men, and not the result of speculation, you have something that has been revealed to us by God. Now there is humility in this. When my dad told me to stay on the trail, perhaps I thought he was doubting my abilities. Maybe he didn't think that I was qualified to be an explorer and to go blaze my own trail. And yes, it's true. He knew that I was weak. He knew that I didn't have the means to be a great explorer and that if I were to leave the trail, there was a very high chance that I could either get lost or to get hurt. And I had to be humble, admitting that I was not wiser than my father and I was not wiser than the ones who created this trail. And we admit when we come to the scriptures as well that we are not wiser than the apostle. We are definitely not wiser than the ones that the Holy Spirit has inspired to give us the scriptures. And we will definitely be harmed or lost by departing from the, from the deposit that has been entrusted to us. Paul is passionate about this because vain speculation is harmful to the people of God. In fact, what are ways that we often harm ourselves through speculation? Perhaps there's the obvious ones to many of us here in the church. Um, whenever we see things like the hidden teachings of Jesus, or we hear about secret codes found in the text of the Old Testament, maybe for some of us who are you know, maybe a little bit more mature in the faith, uh, we hear these things and we think, ah, that's silly. But these are things that really harm, especially new believers. Uh, people in the church are often tempted when they hear about these things. They think, hidden mysteries? What are these hidden books that were left out of the Bible? What are these hidden teachings from Jesus that the church has kept secret from us? Well, these are the vain speculations. In fact, a lot of these things are actually just unearthing exactly these documents that Paul and John were writing against. Things about a Jesus who didn't come in the flesh. Uh, things about these uh, speculations of myths and angels. These are the speculations that were going on at the time of this writing and also that go on today. And we want to help those who are young in the faith stay away from these speculations. Uh, even now, as you know, we may uh, view ourselves as being mature, uh, we still want to be on guard, saying, what is speculation, and what has been revealed to us. Now, those are the obvious things to many of us. But we still, those of us who may have grown up in the church or may consider ourselves mature in the faith, we too can often venture off into the realm of speculation, going away from what has been entrusted to us, revealed to us, and it becomes harmful to our faith. 
just as a planned rabbit trail that I have here. I think there's an area where many of us who, even in reform circles, where we prize God's word in exegesis, in desiring to be faithful to his word, we can still often wander off into vain speculation that becomes harmful. I've talked to many people who, after coming to a biblical understanding of election and predestination and the high mysteries um, of God and how he is great above our understanding, and there are things about him that are mysterious that cause us to have great awe in the way that he works in eternity. And these things are mysterious to us, but sometimes we venture off into vain speculation that can be harmful to us. I meet Christians who, after coming to a right understanding of this, they have questions like, well, I believe, but am I elect? Well, I do trust, but what if I haven't been chosen? What if I want to be a Christian, but maybe God doesn't want me? Well, this is an example of harmful speculation that even reformed and thinking Christians might fall into. In fact, even Calvin writing on uh, issues of predestination and election, uh, he's not the first to write on these things, but when he writes on these, he knows that these are areas where people fall into speculation. And Calvin even writes, let it therefore be our first principle that to desire any knowledge of predestination than that which is expounded by the word of God is no less infatuated than to walk where there is no path or to seek light and darkness. Now, I know that that's English, but let me translate that into English just one more time. In other words, he is saying, first things first, when we talk about predestination, to desire to know more about this than what God has revealed to us would be like wandering off into a path where there is no light and seeking answers where God gives no answers. Calvin also writes that there are times when ignorance is learning. It is good that sometimes we learn to say, I don't know because God has not told me. But I do know what he has told me, and I believe that. So these questions that sometimes we speculate, am I elect? Have I been chosen? How do I know that I'm really one of God's people? Please put an end to these vain speculations and say with Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. These things are harmful to us because they don't give us answers. Whenever we go off into speculation, we are going off to a place where we're asking questions, but we can never have answers because God is not giving answers in those areas. Instead, we go to the revealed will of God, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That has been revealed to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That has been entrusted to us. All who come to me, I will never cast out. That is the deposit that we have been given. That is the revealed will of God that we should be stewards of. That is not speculation. And that gives us answers. You see, this applies in all areas of speculation. 
Speculation departs from the scriptures, and it is harmful because, like I said, it never comes to any answers. It is shaky, and it is, and it is unstable. It doesn't give us peace of mind. Whenever we speculate, we put our faith in turmoil. We give ourselves problems that we are not intended to have. We recognize that areas of mystery, whatever those areas are, those secret things belong to God. We will allow him to have those for himself. But what we do look to is the revealed word of God, what he has given us. That is where we will find the answers. You know, we often think that it's the mature Christian who knows the answers to all the questions. But the truth is, in some time, it's sometimes the mature Christian is not the one who knows all the answers to all the questions, but knows which questions are profitable and give answers, and which questions are simply vain speculation that provide no answers but only hurt the faith of the church. We want questions that give answers. We want questions and teaching that serves the church because that is what sound doctrine does. It serves the church. And this leads us to our second point, and that is teaching that is serving. Sound doctrine is serving doctrine. Look with me again at verse number five. Here Paul writes, The aim of our charge is love, the issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are making confident assertions. In these verses, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, Get this to these teachers. I am giving you a job to charge them not to teach any different doctrine, but the aim of this charge is love. They don't have it. They have swerved from this. And as a result, a host of problems have, fall, have followed. In fact, in fact, much of this letter, it shows what they have swerved to. Here in this passage, in verse number 7, it says that they are desiring to be teachers. It is not their goal to help the church, but to be seen by the church and be respected by them. Paul will later bring up their motivations in chapter 6, and we'll cover this section in a few weeks, so I don't want to go into too much detail. But it talks about how these teachers have an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words. Their craving for controversy, it doesn't edify the church. It doesn't build up, but it only produces envy, jealousy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction amongst the people. These teachers, they see ministry and godliness as a means for gaining something. Paul says that they desire to be rich. They desire to be seen and to get rather than to give and to serve. Now, there are many false teachers in the church today that fit this description very well. Be careful when you are seeking teachers. Be careful that you, are that you are seeking teachers who have a desire to help and serve you, not to have your money or your respect or your eyes. When seeking teachers, 
especially begin here in this local church by seeking the elders. They have been put in their position by God to serve the church with their teaching. As they minister faithfully before the Lord, they are here to help you. They may give you answers or they may send you uh, resources that you can go to. This is not to be uh, theology snobs or to be gatekeepers, but out of love, desiring for the sheep to find medicine and not poison, the elders here in this church desire to help you. They want to help you be a more healthy Christian, growing in your knowledge and devotion to the Lord. Now, this passage is especially to teachers like our elders and other elders in the church. This passage is telling these teachers to use their office the way that it ought to be used. Use their office as a position to, out of love, train and help this church. But these principles um, can also apply to every Christian because all of us use God's word. All of us, at certain portions of our life, we teach others about the word of God. We all teach it in some respect, whether we are teaching our children or whether we are speaking amongst, um, amongst one another. You know, as we have conversations in the church, we are learning. So that means that as we are speaking to others in our conversation, we are teaching. This also is the same as when we're talking to our coworkers and our friends. And even when we are handling God's word as we teach it to ourselves, even in our own self-study, we are being teachers of God's word. And whenever we do this, we have to think about what motivation that we are teaching from. Whenever we spend time learning about the Bible or talking about it, we are not doing so just because we think that it's good to know things about the Bible. It is good, thing, it is good to know things, but that's not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is love so that we might build ourselves up in order to glorify God, and so that as we interact with other members of the church, we can edify other members. So when you're reading theological works, when you're studying the Bible, when you're listening, remember that you are being built up so that you might edify the rest of the church. Whenever you are speaking about theology, you are not speaking as if you would discuss a hobby, but you are edifying the other members of the church. Whenever we handle God's word, we must have the aim of Paul's charge, and that is love. And Paul says more specifically here that it is love that comes from three things. If you notice this in verse number five, he gives us three things that our love must come from as we talk about God's word. And he says that these three things are love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So I want us to apply these things to the love that we have as we seek to serve the church with our teaching. We see here that the first one is love that comes from a pure heart. This is a heart that has pure motives. This isn't a corrupt heart like the people that Paul is speaking of. So as we've said before, beware of your motives. Or not so much beware, but be aware. Know what your motives are when you are speaking to others. Be sure that you are desiring to give and not to get. We see here that the second thing is love that comes from a good conscience. This as well is very important. Knowing that before God, 
you are not mishandling his word. In fact, in the writings of Paul, uh, he brings up this issue of handling God's word with a good conscience many times. Uh, We see this a lot in his writing uh, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or um, chapter 4 in verse number 2. And here Paul, he's, he's trying to say, I am one of the good teachers trying to help you, not like the false teachers who are trying to use you. And Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience before the sight of God. He also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, just a little bit before this, he says, We are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak Christ. He is speaking Christ in teaching, in the sight of God, knowing that he has a good conscience before the Lord. He is not mishandling his word when he is teaching it. Now there are many who are actually guilty of mishandling God's word when they are desiring to teach the church. And oftentimes we see that they actually use love as an excuse to do so. And we might be tempted to have some connection to this in the sense that we may want to sympathize. Uh, We too want to be speaking in love, but we notice that when Paul talks about teaching and having love in your teaching, and loving the one that you are talking about God's word to. He says that the type of love that you must have is one that comes from a good conscience, knowing that you are not mishandling his word. Why have so many swerved into false teaching that has hurt the church? Why are there so many who, desiring to be loving, are affirming sexual sins? denying the church's historic understanding of what the Bible says about marriage and gender and the life of the unborn. They may say, love. That's why we are teaching this. And we might be tempted to be sympathetic because, of course, we want to be loving as well. We don't want to come across as harsh. But how does their love, as they call it, cause them to handle God's word? Could they read the text that we read today and handle it rightfully with a good conscience before the Lord? Or have they become peddlers of God's word, fearing the judgment of man rather than God? Has their love become a love that does not issue from a good conscience before God, that comes from rightly handling his word? As we handle God's word, Let us do so with a love that comes from a good conscience, knowing that before God we are not misusing his word, we are not saying something different from the Apostle Paul, but we are speaking truth in love, and our love is rightly handling his word. We want to serve the church. We want to save the church. We do not want to save face before the world while the church splits and suffers and falls into denominational split after denominational split. 
because people have desired to become peddlers of God's word instead of rightfully handling it. You see, the division, the division in the church is largely caused out of a type of love that is not the love of the Apostle Paul. We see great division in this church, in the church, because many people have swerved from a love that issues from a good conscience before God. But we want to have love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and also a sincere faith. While many of these false teachers would later make shipwreck of their faith and fall away, Timothy was to charge them to have a sincere faith. It's no surprise that when this poisonous teaching that doesn't come from a love for the people, but comes from other motivations, when it affects people to depart from the rightful handling of God's word, we notice that apostasy largely follows, falling away from the faith, making shipwreck of their faith. And this is what bad teaching does. This is what swerving from the apostolic witness does. This is what swerving from the scriptures does to the church. It becomes poisonous. We need to keep these things in mind as we speak to others. We want to have these three descriptions of love that we ought to have. And this is what Paul demonstrates in these verses. These false teachers are desiring to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about, Paul says. They don't have correct teaching because their motivations have swerved. They're teaching on the law, but it has only produced more speculation and, une and uneasiness. It has only produced more arguing and more divisions in the body. They are going against what Paul has said. Most likely, it seems that they have accused Paul of disregarding the law. Maybe they have said that Paul views the law as bad. And so Paul responds to these teachers in verse number 8. And he says here, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now here in this passage, Paul is not giving a full treatment of the law. We know that there is a use of the law that is good for the church. When we see the law and we know God's will, we know how we can glorify him and obey him and serve him with our lives. But here in this passage, Paul is not speaking to all of the uses of the law, but he is simply responding by saying that the law is good if it's used lawfully, knowing that it condemns sin. It is in full accordance with the gospel that I preach, because as it condemns sin, we know that the law shows our need for forgiveness. It shows our need for our Savior. When we hear the law, we know that it tells us that we are guilty. And from that point, we don't go into speculation, but we go to the gospel that Paul has given us. We go to the crucified Savior, the one who was born under the law but was sinless 
the one who died for our sins, the one who was raised for our justification. The law points us to Christ. When Paul speaks to the law, he speaks of it in a way that edifies the church. He speaks to it in a way that brings us to Christ our Savior. And it gives us the great love for him, for what he has done for us. This is what edifies the church. This is what brings thankfulness into our hearts so that we can love with the way that Christ loves. This is the way that Paul handles the word of God. Sound doctrine. He uses it as medicine for the church. We want to be like Paul. Let us imitate him as he rightly uses God's word. So as we close, I mentioned in the beginning that teaching is like medicine. The weakness of faith should be treated with the medicine of sound teaching. However, different doctrine from what Jesus and his apostles have given us becomes like poison to our bodies, poison to our faith, and poison to his church. In fact, later, Paul will use very similar, or similar imagery. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says this to Timothy, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. While sound doctrine is medicine that strengthens faith, false doctrine is poison that weakens and destroys and upsets faith. Let us then hear the warning of Paul and continue in what has been entrusted to us. We have been entrusted with the gospel that he and the other apostles have given us. In this letter later, we will see the order of the church that Paul has given us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sent by Christ to, authoritative, to authoritatively and infallibly, and infallibly tell us how we are to glorify our God. The source of our sound teaching will be God's word. Let us consider our hearts as we handle this word. Rather than seeking something to gain, whether that be respect or money or followers, let us hear the same charge that is given by Paul. Let us love with a pure heart, with no alternative motives, but sincerity, seeking to help the church. Let us love with a love that comes from a good conscience, knowing that before God we are proper, properly handling his word. And let us love with love that comes from a sincere faith, not as hypocrites, but believing and living by what we say. By doing so, we will not swerve, but rather sound doctrine will serve the church of God. Will you join me in prayer? Your Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be healthy. Lord, we know that swerving continues to happen, Father, in the church, and we pray that your Spirit would continue to combat the poison of false teaching with the medicine of true teaching. Father, we ask that you would continue to work in us so that even in our lives we would be healthy, so that we can bring you more glory. Father, we ask that you would use your word and use your truth to build us up in love, Lord, in true love that is in accordance with your gospel. 
Father, I ask that your spirit would do this in our lives. Lord, I pray for the health of your people, Lord. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.